Uh, there is a bit of interesting breaking news to tell you about from the world of Cruton. Our buddy Mike McAllister reporting that three-star LaGrange Park Nazareth Academy, and that's a long school name, wide receiver slash tight end Landon Morris has committed to Syracuse over other finalists that include Iowa State and Central Florida. He also held offers from Boston College and Michigan. So the groove continues for Syracuse football. I believe that's their seventh player in the last week or so that's committed. I might be off by one or two there. But add another one to the list. Landon Morris, a three-star prospect. I believe we're going to talk with Mike later this week, so he'll give us the skinny on that when we talk to him. But uh, there you go, a little Cruton news out there from the football side of things we wanted to pass along. I did want to start the show today with the question maybe we're not asking enough when it comes to sports. We're all out here figuring out, or at least trying to, if sports will come back, how sports will come back, and if so, how are we going to do this, right? Maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is if they should. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer here. I don't want to be that guy. I think I've been pretty fair about this. I think I've been balanced on both sides as much as you can. And frankly, I think a lot of that motivation from my part has been selfish, to be honest with you, because with in a world without sports, what do you do as a sports talk show host, right? Like when your livelihood is challenged, what you do day to day is threatened, you tend to react strongly and my strong reaction through all of this has been yes bring back sports we need sports you know for moral support and the fabric of the country and all these things and really it's like i need content to do this show right but there's a much broader reason and a bigger perspective on sports and it's tough because each sport is a different conversation ufc came back this weekend they actually had a fighter test positive before everything happened and They were able to isolate him before it got too serious and everything. But there's just too many people involved in these things that you can't, as much testing as you're going to do, as safe as you're going to be, as much as you sanitize everything. Like, we're still in a world here where we don't know enough about this. We're not doing enough. We've certainly done a lot to this point with social distancing and the shutdown and, and the pain that that's causing, which is causing, as I brought up, things that I think about as a sports talk show host to pales in comparison to what people are going through out there that are losing jobs, the economic situation, getting the economy going again, which we're discussing here in central New York. Friday is the day phase one, right? Where things will start to slowly reopen and we'll adjust to life. And I'm all for that. I am. We can't, here's what, here's what I know the answer isn't wait for a vaccine. We can't do that. We simply cannot do that. It's too far down the road. It's too unknown when it will happen, even in record time. If a vaccine is found, it could be January or February. And that would be a record. Like, I don't think people realize, I shouldn't have to say this, but there's some people out there that don't realize how complicated it is to find a vaccine for a coronavirus. I am not a biologist, a Scientologist, a a scientist, or anything of that nature, right? But I do know it's really freaking hard to find something like that. There are, you know, think of they haven't found a cure for the common cold. They haven't found cures for certain cancers, for AIDS, for certain things that they've been doing research on, spent millions of dollars on. 
I hope the brightest minds in the world rally and show us that they can find a manageable vaccine for this. But I think we know that's a long ways off. So we can't do that. And we have to phase things in and kind of get back to life as best as we can. And I'm for that. But I think the last thing we all want, as impatient as we are when it comes relative to sports, when it comes to phasing in the economy, getting back to work and everything, these are not easy conversations, but ones that have to be had. And we're all kind of flying without a net there. We've never had to deal with this. We've never had to change our lives on the fly in the way we're going to have to do it and hope there's not setbacks and kind of gingerly take the steps we are and be smart about it. And we're just kind of in this world where frustrations are spilling over and people are protesting and challenging local leaders. And, you know, it's hopefully we'll, we'll all kind of figure this out. But fear tends to breed. The unknown tends to breed these type of emotions. And when I look at sports, when I look about what we're hearing about today, we discussed this. It was refreshing to have breaking news at the start of the show, as we did today with a Syracuse commitment. I like this new sports things to discuss. It's great. But when I look at two things out there and I look at what their motivation is to come back, right? Like certain sports, it's fine. The UFC came back. Golf, you can socially distance. It makes sense, right? There's That's a sport that I feel like can be done. NASCAR comes back this weekend and we'll start, what, seven races in 11 days. It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. But they're separated by literally by cars and the, the crew and how they're going to do that. There's no way to know unless you do it. And to think like we're all going to do this, there's not going to be one positive test and it's all going to flow perfectly, reasonable minds know that's not the way it's going to happen. But you don't want to put people in danger. So I look at the NBA. There's a story out there from Woj today that the union is polling players. And I'll just read you part of the story from Woj. The National Basketball Players Association started polling its membership Tuesday about how individuals stand on a return to play this season. NBPA regional reps were among the union officials polling players, simple yes or no question, on their current desire to return to play this season amid the coronavirus pandemic, literally asking them their feelings about coming back to play. Now, the NBA, they played over 60 games. The one thing they'd be coming back for is to settle a season, would be to settle a championship. And it was this day a year ago where this happened. It's off the Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Oh! Right, I miss those moments as much as anybody. Quiet Leonard sealing the series, the fadeaway, the bounce, that moment of anticipation. I miss that and I want that. Mike Greenberg, I'm going to play a little bit of a commentary that Greenberg had on Get Up today about whether or not the NBA should come back. Mind you, this poll that I'm telling you about, literally asking players, do you feel safe coming back? How do you feel about coming back right now? So Shaquille O'Neal thinks there should be an asterisk attached to whichever team wins the NBA championship this year, if we are all fortunate enough to see one, and as a result thinks we should just scrap the season. Lots of people seem to agree with that. To those people, I ask the following questions. How many titles did Tim Duncan win in his NBA career? How about Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard? You know the answers because these numbers are ingrained in our brains. Duncan won five, not four because the first one came in 1999 in a 50-game season. He won five. LeBron won three, 
not two because Draymond Green got suspended in the finals and allowed the Cavaliers to come back that otherwise seemed impossible. He's got three rings. Kawhi won two. Not just one because KD and Klay Thompson got hurt last year during the finals. He's a two-time champion. History is written by the winners, and those include Michael Jordan. Overlooked in all the talk of MJ's six titles is the spring of 97, when the Bulls' path through the East was forever changed by five Knicks, including Patrick Ewing, getting suspended for coming on the court during a fight in a series they surely would otherwise have won against Miami. The Knicks would have been a real threat to Jordan that year. Instead, Chicago took out the heat in five easy games. Miami didn't score 90 points in any of them. No one talks about that anymore. Just as they won't 20 years from now, if LeBron wins a title this summer, it will be his fourth. No more, no less. And further, I would argue that considering all that's happened, a championship this year might mean more than any other, not less. So I say let's forget about the talk of an asterisk, and if we can... Let's play some ball. Is it worth it? Is it worth the pursuit of a championship, asterisk or not? Do these players feel safe enough to come back under the circumstances of which they stand to play? Now, let's look at baseball. They're, that The NBA, they have, to, they have to conclude a season. And if for some reason it's hung out there in the history books note that the NBA didn't finish its season, the National Hockey League didn't finish its season because of a global pandemic, that's one of those okay moments. Like when I look in history books and I see a void in sports between 1939 and 1945 due to World War II, it's like, okay. Like, we get that. This is on that level. Whereas baseball, their motivation, again, what's your motivation to come back? What's weighing the risk versus the reward here? Well, the NBA played games. The NBA's got quite literally some more money in the bank and things banked away that they can kind of ride it out until the start of next season. Baseball's got to play this season if they want baseball to be baseball. Certainly they have money put away. The, a lot of the players are compensated well enough that you know, they can ride it out. But you'd be surprised how many players, even at a minimum of, what, $2, 3000000 million a year, no one's crying a river for them. But, look, they have families that they take care of, and money goes certain places, and taxes get taken out, and it gets to a point where they want to play. The sport needs the money coming in in some way, to play, and those arguments are going to get really interesting with the background of a pandemic because what the owners are proposing to the players is a 50-50 split of revenue. There's other interesting things in that proposal for baseball, an 82-game schedule, essentially half of the usual schedule, a 14-team postseason, keeping things more regional in terms of travel. You would play in the home stadiums, no fans, Right, the designated hitter in both the American and National League, expanded rosters, interesting things. It's all about the money, and we know it. And I don't think that's insensitive to say in a pandemic because the players are the ones saying, look, we're out here playing. We're risking our necks. You can have all the testing in the world and all the procedures in the world. We're the ones that are out here in close contact and playing. The owners, the ones making the decision, trying to push this, what risk do they take? other than the financial one, and that's an entirely different conversation in one way, but in another, the 50-50 split of revenue, they avoided seasons because of that, because it's, it's essentially a cap. What baseball players don't want is a cap. They're talking this afternoon. As Jeff Passan and others have noted in the world of baseball, this is going to get pretty nasty here. Here's Jeff Passan on ESPN's Daily Podcast today. What about from a public health perspective how is this actually going to work 
<laughs> I think that is as unanswered a question at this point as the finances are. And it's because there's really no clear good roadmap to how to do this, right? We've seen in other countries, we've seen in Taiwan and in South Korea, baseball come back. But those are also places that haven't had anywhere near as virulent a spread of coronavirus as we have here. What they can try to do is make it as safe as possible. Teams are going to play games only inside of their division and against the interleague team in those divisions. So, for example, American League East teams will play only American League East and National League East opponents. The hope there is that by limiting travel, you know, you can take bus rides from New York to Philadelphia or from Philadelphia to Washington. But in the central divisions, for example, that, that's just not realistic. Those teams are going to be taking flights practically every time they have to play a game. So between that and figuring out how much testing can be done, it's a huge part of this. And another reason, Mina, why the players are as emboldened as they are, because they feel like they're the ones taking all the risk here. That's Jeff Passan from ESPN, Syracuse grad on the Daily Podcast with Mina Kimes. They are taking the risk here financially, health-wise, more of the risk. And if the the short does the short-term benefit the long-term? We'll do your 50-50 split as long as you can guarantee us there's not going to be a salary cap in the future. Will the owners try and change the game permanently in ways that they should only be changing it in a temporary fashion just to get back out there? So we're discussing a lot of the reasons if we can. Are we asking enough questions about if we should? I think the solution to that question, as broad as it is, and each sport is different, is you have to play out every scenario you can possibly think of. And two months ago, who thought a pandemic was going to shut down sports? But it was two months ago this happened. So now you've got to try and think ahead, go through every scenario before you say the answer to that question is no. And that's where we still find ourselves today. Let's bring him in right now. He is a Syracuse native. He is a, a graduate of Syracuse University and is a media reporter for CNN. Been a while since we've had him on the program, but a great time to bring him back and check in. Frank Pallad is back on the block ESPN Radio. Frank, how you doing, bud? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, Frank. And not only is your work terrific, your Twitter feed is something I'm a big fan of. And not only for what you do in your work, but the play-by-play of your life is something that I get a kick out of. And I think you're in a position that a lot of people may be in, Frank, back home with mom and dad, right? So tell us what, what that's been like back here in the Q's. Yeah, so I'm back in the Q's. I'm actually in my mom's like upstairs two-family house. I'm drinking Labatt Blue, and go. basically it's like 2009 again. I feel like, <laughs> wow, I've lost an entire decade. I feel like I could be heading to Chuck's or Fagan's at any time, but I forgot that most of those places are closed. So, um, yeah, I'm just basically just trying to make it through, taking care of the parents and just covering the day-to-day of uh, media and entertainment news. It's It's been wild to see how that goes, Frank, and, and sports has been a big part of that. And I, I wanted to start with something that you wrote about recently. I didn't even plan it this way. We just had somebody on the show last hour, our buddy Chris Dostremski, who actually works with Scott Van Pelt at ESPN. Mm-hmm. You wrote about Scott Van Pelt and Sports Center, and hey, what's that like when there's no sports? What did you find out when you taught the SVP? 
Well, what was the most interesting thing that he said is I asked him, what is Sports Center? What is it like hosting Sports Center without Well Sports? And he basically said, it's like being a waiter, but there are no chefs and there is no food. And that's really, really quite interesting. And the other thing that was really interesting that Scott said is that he says, we're all really, you know, enamored to get sports back. We're all saying we want sports back. We want sports back. But what he said after that was actually really intriguing to me, which is once it's back, it's kind of going to suck and we might not like it because it's not going to be sports. It's not, there's not going to be fans. There's the competition might be really weird. And there's another aspect of this. Like he's talking about nine 11, that after nine 11, you know, president George W. Bush, he went out on the mound at Yankee stadium through that pitch you know, put his thumb up to the sky. There was Shea Stadium with Mike Piazza, you know, hitting a home run the first game back, winning the, beating the, I think the Atlanta Braves, Um, all that stuff. It was a, it was a gathering place. He called uh, sports the the great distractor. It's a place that brings people together. That's not going to happen this time around. We might come together virtually, I suppose, but for the most part, we're all going to be really separated, stuck at home watching potentially, you know, the Lakers play the Bucks in the NBA finals at Disney World or Las Vegas in, in, a, in an empty arena. It's going to be quite weird. It's going to be weird, but I'll take it. And, you know, I don't know if you caught any of the UFC this weekend, and that's kind of a different sport in and of itself, but they seemingly got back and said, hey, we can do this. NASCAR is going to be back this upcoming weekend. Golf is yeah. going to be returning soon. So we're all going to be seeing this experiment play out together, but it's different with some of those sports you just mentioned, the NBA, hockey, Baseball, as we've heard this week, is you know trying to furiously find a way to get back mm-hmm. here. And from a television perspective, it's it's interesting, Frank, because that's just it. Different sports, different TV money, but some of those sports still need fans in the stands to thrive. Baseball being one of them, maybe some of the others. You know, they're so totally dependent on TV that they don't really need the fans in the stands, but others certainly do. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, if you think about baseball, baseball is already kind of a very, you know, slow and steady sport, but it has these moments of the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd. We're not going to have that. I won't even know if like someone hit a home run because no one will say anything until like the ball is out of the, like out of the park. And it'll be weird to kind of see from a, at least like a media standpoint, how these networks like TNT and TBS, which are, you know, with uh, CNN and Turner and then like ABC and obviously ESPN really broadcast these games are we going to watch you know nba and then have inside the nba uh with chuck and ernie and then and, and Shaq and all them pretty much just broadcasting from their house is, is kevin harlan or mike green going to even be at the stadium are they going to be watching the game from home and you know calling the game it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how sports comes back and which sports come back and how most importantly we as fans embrace that like i'm looking forward to next week with uh uh, with the uh, TNT uh, uh, Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Like, I- I'm going to watch every moment of that in the same way that you couldn't get me to watch the NFL draft past the first round in prior years. I might have watched every single pick of the NFL draft this year. It's just incredible that right now people are starving for sports content, but for more importantly, what they're starving for is sports as a symbol of normalcy, a return that things are normal again and that things are safe and that people can congregate at least. And that is something that we all just desperately need right now. And the closest thing we have to that, Frank, I know you've been watching is The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan of Chicago. Chicago Bulls documentary. I think this was going to be big anyway, but given Uh the circumstances it's in, it's a phenomenon. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, the thing that keeps boggling my brain is that, all right, that 
we're about eight episodes through, and it's averaging between five and a half million to six million. That's baseball numbers. Like that is actually pretty good for baseball numbers. And what's weird is it's getting that type of viewership, steady viewership over the last couple weeks, and it's not sports. It's a documentary about sports, and it's not even a documentary about sports right now. It's sports 20 years ago, and people are just really, really interested in it. And ESPN has completely thrown you know, the book out the window at this point. They're scrambling to figure out how to make it work, and i got to give them credit. They have worked really hard to come up with a way to make their network somewhat you know, watchable through all of this. They've done that through their live studio shows and what they call event programming, which is everything from the last dance to the cornhole championships, which is a lot more interesting to watch than you would think. Frank Pallotta is our guest, media reporter from CNN. He is a Syracuse native and Syracuse grad back in the queues enjoying the Mother's Day snowstorms uh, that we're getting. Frank, uh, when you're looking at one more thing on The Last Dance and how it's being presented, and look, people will find anything to be critical about, as you well know, on social media and yeah. other places, but is there any fair criticisms you see about how the story's being told? Jordan's got, you know... Uh, control of this basically he signed off on it and had mm-hmm. the operational rights to it so people are saying like this is not a true look at these teams and 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 that run i'm not on that i think it's been amazing the way they've presented it i don't think i went into this expecting some sort of 60 minutes overview of this team and, and jordan and we've gotten mm-hmm. some pretty revealing things through it but have, have you heard any criticisms that have been valid of this i'll, I'll phrase it then yes i feel like, I mean, Ken Burns, who has done like the baseball documentary, says that this isn't like true journalism because, you know, Jordan has the final cut, basically. But what I, and while that criticism is fair, and I do believe that it's a fair criticism, I would actually make the point, that's not how I'm watching this show. I don't see it as necessarily like a documentary. It's more kind of like an autobiography, like a visual autobiography of Michael Jordan's life with all of these people in it. And obviously, when you write an autobiography, you are the author of the piece. But that being said, I I will say that there is a level of Jordan in this, that he just doesn't seem to care. Like, he just doesn't seem to care how people perceive him. I mean, the last episode, which was just so intriguing, it ends with this kind of, like, him going off saying, you know, how he was harsh on his teammates, but that's what, you know, winning comes at a cost, and he's a leader, and he basically is in tears, and then he goes break, and the episode ends. And I, I get it. Like, listen, he's all, like, it kind of came off as like a Nike commercial on leadership rather than really just like delving into if he was a super harsh guy and his politics and things of that nature. But I, I just don't watch this as necessarily like a journalistic type of, you know, movie in the same way that OJ made in America was like OJ made in America is still the pristine top tier sports documentary. if not one of the best documentaries ever made that's journalism at its best. I would say this is different. It's not bad, but the criticism is fair that it's not exactly journalism. But I see it as an autobiography written by Michael Jordan and kind of put out there into the world visually rather than written in a book. Completely agree. I think if you look at it through that prism, any criticisms of that kind of fade away. Now, we're in a world, obviously, where people are are out of work and we're in a pandemic and trying to recover the economy. But there's certain portions of the economy that are doing just fine. And one of those our streaming services, the Netflix uh-huh. of the world, and people just consuming all the content that they can. I thought it was really interesting to see today, Frank, and I wonder if this is just going to be more normal as we go. So Disney Plus makes the announcement that the movie version of Hamilton is going to be on Disney Plus. This was supposed to be a theatrical release next uh-huh. year, but Disney Plus is like, no, we're going to put it on this service 
in a couple of months. Like, is this the new normal here? Some movies that were down the road that are going to be moved up on the schedule? It, it, it was really surprising today with that news, especially considering that like Disney reportedly spent about $75 million for the rights to show the original, you know, Broadway production of Hamilton. But, you know, I'm pulling back a little bit on like the idea that movie theaters and things of that nature and the way traditional media is going to go completely extinct. I think it's going to evolve. I think it's going to accelerate in ways that we thought was going to happen five years from now, I think are going to happen in the next maybe one to two years. And I think the future we're looking at now is we're going to see more movies like a Trolls World Tour that kind of bypass theaters. But smaller movies like a Hamilton, that's not exactly a blockbuster, even though it costs a ton of money to buy the rights to. And or like a Scoob or an Artemis Fowl, these small family films that aren't necessarily your Mulan or your Black Widow or the big franchise movies, because those movies have been mostly delayed. And we have a couple of them this summer, like Tenet from Christopher Nolan, Wonder Woman 1984, and Mulan are all set to open this summer. And I don't think even, I think they get moved if theaters aren't open rather than they go to digital. I just don't see a way that that happens. They're too big. They're too global. They have too much marketing and and too much money behind them. And the, the thing I keep telling people is that, yes, Universal release Trolls World Tour early, but if they really believed that the theatrical experience was dead, we'd all be watching Fast and Furious 9 right now in our houses instead of April 20th, 1st, next year. These, these guys know what they're doing. They're trying to figure out the future is, but they're hedging their bets and they're trying to make a bad situation better and bring in some revenue. Let's be honest. That's what they're trying to do is make money in a bad time. All right, you know I was going to come with some Star Wars questions. It's been fascinating to see... First of all, The Mandalorian Season 2 is going to go off without a hitch, but I don't want to just ask about Mm -hmm. that, Frank. This is a broad question about there's nothing in production right now. So if you got everything in prior to the pandemic and things shutting down, you can still edit and do things remotely. But let's start with The Mandalorian and and the phenomenon that that is. It seems to be on track. We're getting, you know, subtle leaks and plot points of who's in it. And I just, I cannot wait till October. I'm just going to put it to you that way. This, this thing is going to be amazing. It seems. Yeah, no, I mean, The Mandalorian has been one of the most interesting and biggest hits in streaming in the last couple of years. And I, I got to give Disney credit. They literally came out of the gate with probably one of the best things that streaming has had to offer. It's got a stranger things level of popularity, if not more so. And that's because, you know, it really delved into what makes Star Wars special. It felt like a Western. It felt like a used future. And then they threw in, you know, hey, look at this cute little baby Yoda thing. You can buy it for $19.99 at all of our (laughs) Disney stores. It's really Disney working at its best and allowing creators to create something about Star Wars that isn't necessarily tied to the mythos. It's a little different. It's moving a little forward. Obviously, it's not too far different. I mean, let's be quite honest. It's, It's a baby Yoda and a guy who looks like Boba Fett walking around for eight episodes, but it's a lot of fun and it's interesting and it's for all ages. And I just think it's going to continually, you know, do well, but that's interesting that we're not going to have it really until October. So Disney kind of has this dry period over the next couple months when we don't know, are we going to get the Marvel series like, uh, uh, like uh, Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier and WandaVision and all those really anticipated Marvel series or were they delayed? We're still figuring that out. And that's why the Hamilton news was really interesting because it just dropped it in the middle of the summer and be like, okay, well, here you go. You're going to have that. 
And we're going to see Disney Plus kind of add a little bit more things that don't seem necessarily Disney-ish. Like they are adding like a Taylor Swift live from Paris concert that's going to play on ABC. And that's going to go to Disney Plus. So we're going to see, I still think that the brands like Marvel and Star Wars are Disney Plus focused and Mandalorian's a big part of that. But you're going to see an expansion of it. And I think they might get creative in the next couple weeks and months, depending on how long this lasts. See, on that note, Frank, that leads me to my next question in that when are we going to come to a head here in terms of shows that are not in production the demand for content and things that they had planned that they simply can't do because they couldn't film it like how much of a delay is there going to be and when are we going to start to see that not only with netflix and and streaming but with networks that you know are just like okay when can we film ncis and all these top rated shows that are all shut down right now well, a lot of, luckily, like things like Netflix has said last month, that they have a, a very big war chest of content that they can pretty much put out there, and they're not too worried. As far as the networks are concerned, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I, I would say, you know, if we get through the summer and into the fall and things are still kind of the way they're going, which obviously no one knows, you know, we're going to maybe see kind of a slow kind of like the the faucet get turned down a little bit. But then it's going to be interesting to see if we start seeing more kind of shows like the Parks and Rec special, where they actually filmed everything from everyone's house. Will we see more kind of reunion specials like that? Will we see more Disney sing-alongs like Disney family sing-alongs of celebrities singing in their kitchens, which brought in like 10 million viewers. Like people are watching this stuff and it doesn't really cost much, nor does it have a lot of production to it. So, I think the faucet could get a little bit closed if this stretches into the fall, which, you know, health officials are saying is a very real possibility. But at the same time, even if that does, we could see a lot of creativity come out of streaming services and out of the networks who could just be starting to produce things from their kitchen and their homes in the same way that all the late night guys have. If anything, I think late night lately has been some of the most fun television they've put on in a long time because they've just gotten super weird. Like, plus I like looking inside of Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel's house, <laughs> Absolutely. See, uh, you know, see what kind of books they're reading and how nice their living room is compared to mine. Frank, it's always great to catch up with you, my friend. Terrific insight. Uh, hope you're enjoying being back in town and back home with Brent, the family. when does it get warm here? When does it get warm? It's May. There's like what, a, what's there's, happening? There's, there's a long weekend in July. And then, and then no things No wonder turn. I moved. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there, brother. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much.